The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 15. We're continuing this week in our series. It's called Death to Division. Uh, We're taking 12 weeks to study through the book of Ephesians, verse by verse. Uh, This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus, uh, but also was very likely meant to be distributed to churches in other cities as well. Ephesians has been prized by both new believers and theologians uh, throughout church history because of its hope-filled and theologically rich message. Uh, One commentator described it this way. Among the epistles bearing the name of St. Paul, there is none greater than this, nor any with a character more entirely its own. There is a peculiar and sustained loftiness in its teaching, which which has deeply impressed the greatest minds and has earned for it the title of the Epistle of the Ascension. So, as we approach God's word, let's, let's read these words carefully with the reverence that the very word of God deserves, because that's what we're doing here. We're reading God's word. Okay, so I'm in verse 15. We're going to go to the end of chapter 1, which is verse 23. Here we go. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Praise God for his word. Uh, So going back to verse 15 and 16, uh, this statement by Paul, this beginning here uh, that we've kind of broke into, it's a glimpse into what a pastor answering the call of Jesus to lovingly shepherd the people, what that really looks like. I I told you last week uh, that Paul started the church at Ephesus, um, but he was also able to stay there much longer than many of the churches that he planted. He really knew these folks, and, and we see that his heart was full of gratitude because he heard that they were growing into mature believers. And and what are the two things mentioned here that bless the heart of Pastor Paul as he thought of these people that he loves? What what two things caused him to give what he says is unceasing thanks when he heard that they were present in the lives of the people that he had sacrificed so much to disciple? There was two things. It was faith in the Lord Jesus and love for his people. These two things, faith in the Lord Jesus and love for his people— They always go together. As your faith in Jesus grows, so does your love for his people. 
And when you really love and walk with his people, they help your faith in Jesus grow. Those things exist always together. They're connected. Paul now moves on, and he's going to be specific in telling these Ephesian believers how he is praying for them. And this is a practice I wholeheartedly believe we should imitate. So let me read you verses 17 to the first half of 19 uh, one more time. Well, it might be one more time. You never know. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. So remember, this is Paul. This is what Paul is praying over them. He's telling them specifically, not just I prayed for you, but this is what I'm praying. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These were the prayers of Pastor Paul over these people. I'm wondering if you see the beauty of this, what he's done here. Paul doesn't just tell them, I'm praying for you. He tells them what and how he is praying for them. And this is helpful in so many ways. I'm going to give you just a few. The first thing this does when, when we do this, when we don't just say, I'm praying for you, but tell people how and, and what we're praying, it holds the one. Sorry, that's the second one. The first thing it does is it removes the doubt from the mind of the person being prayed for. It removes doubt from the mind of the person being prayed for. Okay, I'm gonna, I want to play truth or dare with all of us right now, okay? We're going to all do it together. Well, actually, this game is just called truth, but I didn't think you would know what I was talking about, so I started with truth or dare, okay? So this game is just called truth. Uh, you know, I'm not daring this group to do anything because I know a few of you will be, like, way too down for whatever, so we're not going to get into dares in this crowd, okay? Because I know y'all. Um, okay, so do you want truth or truth, okay? <laughs> That's the, those are the options. All right, so I want you to really do this. I want you to raise your hand if this applies to you, okay? It's okay. Let's be honest. How many of you have ever had someone say, I'm praying for you, and you maybe doubted even just a tiny little bit that they actually were? Raise your hand if that's true. Someone said, I'm praying for you, and you weren't totally sure maybe necessarily that they were going to follow through on that. Okay. Thank you for your honesty, all right? Now, Raise your hand if this is true for you. If someone were to describe in detail how and what they were praying for you, would that go a long way in removing that doubt? If someone didn't just say, just throw an I'm praying for you, but they told you specifically, this is how I'm praying for you, this is what I'm praying over you, would that do anything? Would that have any effect on the potential of you maybe doubting whether that was just a, a Christianese phrase that got thrown your way or not? Would that help? Hand in the air if that would help. Okay, I'm hoping the rest of you are not, I hope you're looking at each other and not at me, because I want you to see something here. We're, we're getting fairly universal answers. Um, I'm seeing a few hands down. I don't know, uh, you know, if you're just not here with me or uh, you've never doubted somebody. I mean, and maybe 1 Corinthians 13 is very, very vibrant for you and, and, you know, love believes the best in everybody. But I know I've had someone say to me before, I'm just maybe not as holy. I've had someone say to me before, I'm praying for you, and I'm like, well... <laughs> I bet. You know what I mean? Like that type of thing. So I'm, I, that's okay. It's all right. The, the, the truth is, of, of course it does. Of course being more specific and telling people how and what we're praying um, 
it helps remove doubt, and it communicates a level of concern and involvement that reflects the reality of authentic Christian community. It's helpful. So here's the second thing it does. You got a preview of this earlier when I messed up. It holds the ones saying that they are praying accountable. Okay? You want truth or truth? Okay. This one's going to be a little harder to admit, okay? But just remember. Remember this. This is important. Lies make baby Jesus cry, okay? So we don't want that up in here. All right, so let's tell the truth. Raise your hand if you've ever said to someone, I'm praying for you, and even though you really meant to and you really wanted to, something else demanded your attention and you forgot to follow through. I'm not showing you how to raise your hand. I'm I'm raising my hand in, in humble acknowledgement that that's happened, okay? Listen, we have to have grace on each other here, okay? It's tough it's tough when you fire off that text that says, you know, I'll be praying for you, and then, you know, immediately you feel something wet hitting the back of your neck, and it's your kid with a juice box, you know, just squeezing it. Whatever happens, right? I mean, stuff happens. Um, so we, we need to be gracious about this reality. And I truly don't think I've ever met someone who intentionally says that they're going to pray for people with, with no intention of doing it, right, like on purpose. I don't, I don't think I've met anybody like that. Uh, but we are easily distracted people living in a world full of distractions, right? So it, it, does, it does happen. But when you take the time to specifically tell somebody what and how you are praying for them, you can literally be praying it as you are saying it or typing it, right? And so that, that helps. It helps to hold you accountable. Better yet, you could call them or actually pray over them in person. And, and doing this, is, it's also a great way to increase holy boldness. It's very easy just to throw out the, I'll pray for you. It's another step of faith to say, hey, let's pray right now. Whether you're on the phone or you're in person or whatever it is, man, that's going to put you, you know, anybody can say, I'll be praying for you. You don't need the Holy Ghost help for that. But for many of us to, to then step into this thing of, no, let's address this right now. Let's go to the Father right now. Let's pray together right now. All of a sudden, for many of you, that's an uncomfortable situation, but that's, God's always wanting to put you in those because he's trying to remind you of your dependence upon him. You're going to need the Holy Spirit's help to do that. We don't want to come before the Father in prayer, be addressing people's difficulties and situations, lifting them up in prayer, praying over them without the help of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, these, are, these are good practices. These are helpful uh, to be specific and, and, and to just go for it, man. Um, I think it, it, it will grow us. It'll stretch us. It'll be pleasing to God. The, the third thing it does is it increases unity and it improves communication. Increases unity and improves communication when we're specific about what and how we're praying. In Matthew 18, Jesus said, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. Okay? Now, of course, we have to consider, along with that scripture, the rest of what the Bible teaches about prayer. For example, 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15 says, This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we asked from him. Okay? So I'm just making sure we balance out what we're saying. But the point here is there is power in unity and agreement among God's people. If we're praying according to God's will, man, there is something to. This is why Jesus in John 17 prayed so fervently for the unity of his people, right? There is power in us agreeing in faith. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 18, and I would say he probably knows what he's talking about. Amen? So 
Sharing specifically how we are praying, it can also help us communicate better with each other and make sure we are praying biblical prayers, okay? Um, uh, I, was, I was playing basketball with uh, some young boys recently, and it reminded me that I really wish I could dunk. I always have. I've always been a little, a little bit upset that I can't. Uh, I've always kind of big, <clears throat> been big boned and I've never had hops. So dunking's never been on the radar for me. Um, you know, I could grab the middle of the net with the best of them, but there was no way I was going to get up and throw it down. So, uh, but the, the reason I bring that up is, I, I mean, I really wish I could have dunked when I was playing with them because they were younger than me and, and it was showing, but uh, that's besides the point. If I had said out loud to these guys, man, I wish I could dunk. And then one of them said, Pastor Vince, you know what? I love you, man. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that tonight you grow four inches while you sleep. I'm going to pray that so that you can dunk tomorrow. Since he got specific, I would then have a second to say, well, hold on, brother, because <laughs> I'm not praying that, right? I, first of all, I don't want to have to buy new pants, like all new pants, right? I don't want to grow four inches overnight, all right? Because A, the first reason I gave you, but secondly, I believe God made me this tall, and he knew what he was doing, and he probably didn't build me to dunk for a reason, okay? I don't know what it is. I don't know if I'll be so bold as to ask him when I get there. I think other things will be on my mind. Dunking will probably not be on the list, but um, you see what I'm saying? This, this is a stupid, this is a silly example, but the principle is real, okay? Being specific when we're telling our brothers and sisters in Christ what and how we are praying, it opens the door for deeper dialogue, communication, and care for one another. It allows us to then talk through what it is we're saying we're praying through and what we're praying about, praying for. So I, I know that some of you may be thinking, hey, I, I hear all that, and, and it sounds right, I'm with you, but Sometimes I don't know how to pray for people specifically. Some of you might be feeling that way or thinking that way. And, and I'm really glad you brought that up, okay? Because here's what you do, all right? If that's the case, if you're like, hey, yeah, you know what? Praying specific prayers. I see that Paul did it here with the Ephesians. He didn't just throw a, hey, I'm praying for you in the letter. He laid out to them how he was praying for them. If you're saying, hey, I see the beauty of that. I see that it does those three things you said and probably more things we're not aware of. But I, sometimes I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to be specific, Okay? I'm going I'm to tell you what to do, right? You ready to write this down? You got your notepad ready? This is deep. Ask them. Yeah, that's a good one, right? Ask them. It is totally okay, and it's actually really loving to ask someone, how do you want me to be praying with you about this? Because then you get a chance to hear their heart on the matter and align your faith and prayers with theirs. Or maybe you'll hear that, in that your friend is, is downcast and maybe they're believing lies and maybe, maybe the way they're praying about it isn't biblical. And there's a chance for then, for then you to reach in and love and encourage them to, for iron to sharpen iron in that instance. Well, hey, I, I hear that that's the way you're feeling about this, but, but here's what God's word says. Why, can we pray this way? Let's, let's believe God this way. Let's trust him, right? That's good stuff. It's better than you're acting like it is, okay? All right. So that leads us to asking the question, what did Pastor Paul pray specifically for his friends in Ephesus? Let's pull this apart a little bit. Let's see what, what did he pray specifically over these folks he loved. Okay, so I'm going to start his prayer, his specific prayer, it starts in verse 17. So I'm going to read you verse 17 again. 
I knew I needed to backtrack earlier when I said I'll read it one more time. <laughs> you guys knew better than that. Okay. Here's here's first thing he says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. This is his first prayer. Okay, so we see here in this, in the way that Paul's praying, that it's not enough to have wisdom and knowledge in regards to the things of this world. In order to have true hope and real joy and accomplish the purpose for which we were created, we must have knowledge of God. And we can't have this knowledge without the help of the Holy Spirit. We all must acknowledge the sinful tendency we have of forming a God in our imaginations that does not accurately represent the one true God as revealed in the Scriptures. It, just to give you an example, so you know what I'm talking about, a common iteration of this would be the, the, the absolute dribble you hear coming out of people's mouth all the time that I think God just wants me to be happy. And what they mean is, I think God just wants absolutely everything I want at any given moment. Do you, do you realize that functionally you just said you're God? What's the difference? If at any given moment you decided this is the thing I want, this is what will make me happy, and you're 100% sure that God's always in alignment with that, you've crafted a God in your own image. That's not the God of the Bible. God has promised to give all that we need and do things do absolutely everything that is for our good in every situation. But sometimes that's not going to line up with what you may be believing is the best thing right in that moment. We need to swallow that medicine and smile. Amen? Amen. It's good for us. Thankfully, because of God's grace and by the power of his spirit, we are not only able to have real knowledge of God, we're not only able to know about him, but we are allowed the precious privilege of knowing him. And so it's not just a matter of knowing who the God of the Bible is as the scriptures describe him, but it's also this beautiful reality that in Christ we get to know him. It's the difference between the relationship I have with my wife and Abraham Lincoln. I know about Abraham Lincoln. I know some cool stuff that he said. I know some cool stuff that he did. I know that he was tall. I know that he was honest. Uh, and I know he's on the penny, okay? But it's different... Knowing about Abraham Lincoln is different than knowing my wife, right? And that's, that's, a, that's a distinction that we want to make sure we keep in mind and understand that it is only by God's incredible grace that we can have either one as it pertains to God. The only reason we know anything about God or that we get to know him is because in Christ we've been given the gift of his Holy Spirit, which opens our eyes, <laughs> which Paul prayed here. Okay. Uh, next, the next thing he prays over these folks, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Followers of Jesus are called to walk by faith and not by sight. We need the eyes of our hearts enlightened. So we can see the beautiful truth that our natural eyes cannot perceive. The hope of our calling mentioned here is amazing. To know that before Christ, we were enslaved to sin and we were enemies of God. And yet, he has called us from that dark and wretched existence. Not only to walk in his light and love ourselves, but to join 
him in beckoning others to also taste the freedom only Jesus can provide. The hope of our calling, friends. How often do you think in those terms? You are called by Christ. What a glorious calling it is. What a hope-filled calling it is. Paul wants the Ephesians to also see themselves in a way here that is it's mind-blowing. If, if what I'm about to explain to you, if you don't find yourself in awe of it, I'm going to ask you to seek God's help by the Holy Spirit to, to pop the top on this for you until your mouth drops open, because what I'm about to say is mind-blowing. This is, this is what Paul says, he, that God sees us as his inheritance. Did you see that? Verse 18 the hope of the calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? That God sees the saints. God sees those redeemed by the blood of Christ, his children. They, he sees us as his inheritance. The fruit of his long labor throughout history. And the fact that this is the way God sees us, friends, it should crush every single lie we would ever be tempted to believe about whether or not we have value, and worth. If God, the supreme and sovereign ruler of all that exists, if he sees us as his inheritance, then nobody else's negative opinion, including our own, bears any real weight in the matter. Amen. Hallelujah. Whew, we could keep drilling on that, but let's keep going. All right. I'm going to read you the first half of 19. This is the last part of what Paul specifically is praying. And what is the surpassing? He wants wants them to know that they are God's inheritance. He wants the eyes of their heart to be enlightened so that they can know these things. This is the last thing he wants them to know. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Paul is asking God to show those he loves in the Ephesian church, the surpassing greatness of his power, which has been unleashed into the lives of those who believe. Now that he lays out what and how he has been praying for them, the apostle begins to unpack the implications of God exerting this unmatched power towards those who have turned from sin to trust in Jesus. So he says, I'm so thrilled to hear that you are growing in Christ, your faith in Jesus and your love for one another. Because of that, I'm giving thanks for you unceasingly. Because of you, you're in my prayers all the time. Here's the way I'm praying for you. And he lays out what we just talked about. And now he's going to begin to unpack. Here's what I'm, that's what I'm praying for you. Here's what that means. And friends, this this is where, (laughs) this is where we're about to go somewhere. Get your tambourine ready, okay? Because these verses right here, they're going to make you want to bang one, all right? Or else you can't hear, or else you're dead, okay? Because this is good right here. Verse 20, the apostle begins to unpack the meaning of this, these prayers, why he would say these things, why he would ask God for these things for the church, okay? Verse 20 says, the strength of God's might was brought about in Christ, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. How? So the strength of God's might, it was brought about in Christ. How? How did that happen? It says, he tells us plainly, 
when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. So this surpassing greatness of the power of God is on display in the resurrection and in the fact that he was raised to his right hand. Come on, this, this is why we get so excited at Easter time, okay? Friends, if all you're doing is dyeing some eggs and wearing fancy clothes on Easter weekend, you are missing something here, okay? There's a reason why. <laughs> There's a reason why we celebrate. We are missing something that no human can afford to miss. If we're not seeing the surpassing greatness, surpassing greatness of the power of God revealed in the resurrection of Christ. Many of us, we... Familiarity breeds contempt, okay? And many of us have heard the resurrection story so many times that we have become numb to how big of a deal it really is. When we talk about power on display, most of us, we, we, we would be amazed if we could witness the explosive power of an atom bomb, right? I'm sure you've seen videos, the mushroom cloud, stuff blowing over, you know, Long way from that epicenter of that explosion. That's a lot of power unleashed. But that bomb can only cause death and destruction with its power. And honestly, any human has the same potential. I'm not saying any human can explode like an atom bomb. I'm saying, ultimately, what can an atom bomb do? It can kill things and destroy things. That's what it can do. And any human really can do that. There, there are countless ways that even the weak among us can cause death. But not even the mightiest among us can defy death and defeat death, raising up from the grave three days after taking our last breath. Not even the mightiest among us. Friends, this is why in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, if Jesus did not rise, we who trust him should be pitied. This is why our faith hinges on the reality of the resurrection. The surpassing greatness of God's power toward us who believe was brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The surpassing greatness of God's power toward us who believe, it was brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. It may be simple enough to understand how the resurrection of Jesus puts God's mighty power on display. I hope we can at least see a glimpse of that. But what might be less clear is how it applies to us. Why does it say that it's God's power toward us who believe? We might, we might be glimpsing, and, and as I'm trying to coerce you and I'm trying to prod you into being amazed at the surpassing greatness of God's power displayed in the resurrection of Christ, we may be thinking about that. We may be saying, yeah, that, that is powerful. But what might be difficult to connect is, but why is that toward us? How does that apply? What is actually being said here? Well, that may be unclear, but let's, let's clear it up. This, this, is not, <laughs> this is not just a nod your head, say amen type of truth right here. This is a radically change your whole perspective on life and set you free type truth. This, right here, why is this toward us? How, what is the connection? Okay, I want to work backwards with you from verse 23. So we're going to go back down to the bottom. Okay, What does it say? which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, okay? Verse 22, he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. So the church is his body, okay? He's the head, all right? And what, and what did he say about that? That all things were put in subjection under his feet, okay? 
All right, so what is, what's Paul doing here? Let's, let's figure out the analogy. So the church is his body, all right? Since I'm just standing in front of everybody, we'll just use mine. So the church is his body. Jesus is the head. All things, dominion, all, all authority and power and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come, all those things have been put in subjection under his feet. Okay, so if Christ is the head and the church is his body and all things have been put in subjection underneath his feet, what does that mean? I see, I see some heads starting to move. Are you understanding what I'm saying? He's the head, we're the body, and all things are under his feet. What, is that, what does that mean, all power, dominion, and authority, then, is in relation to you? If you are the body of Christ, and all things have been put in subjection underneath his feet. Ooh, that means it's under our feet. Hold on now. What does that mean? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57 says, But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.37 says, But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. NASB is my favorite translation by far and away, but on this one, many of your translations will say that we are more than conquerors. And I think that conveys in a helpful way the principle that's being said. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. In all these things we are overwhelmingly conquering. We are more than conquerors in him who loved us. Friends, sin separated every one of us from living in the place of authority and dominion that God intended for us. I know some of you are nervous. Hold on. God gave Adam charge of the garden in Genesis. You're like, hold on, that didn't help. It's okay. Stay with me. God gave Adam charge of the garden in Genesis. Did he, did he or did he not? I'm not, going, I'm not doing what you think I'm doing. Just hang with me. Here's the one Bible question, Bible quiz for all you Bible nerds. Did God give Adam charge of the garden? Is that true or not true? Boy, that's true. Is Christ the head? Is the church his body? Were all things put in subjection underneath his feet? Okay? Then that means we were meant to rule underneath the ultimate and sovereign reign of God. We were intended to rule. Sin separated us. It separated every one of us from living in that place of authority and dominion that God intended for us. We need to see that. This means that the destiny we were divided from by sin, what, what Paul's saying here, the destiny we were divided from by sin to rule with God in this earth, it is restored in Christ. We are meant to walk in total victory at all times. Is Christ in total victory at all times? I like so much that you guys are nervous. I'm so happy. I didn't actually totally do it on purpose, but it's, I'm thrilled. Is Christ in total victory at all times? Okay. Are all things under his feet? Where are we at in the equation? Come on now. Now I will address your concerns. But isn't it dangerous to talk like this, right? We've all seen iterations in, in, in the prosperity gospel and in other places. We've seen iterations of, of talking like this where it becomes grotesquely malformed and, and totally abandons solid biblical teaching. <clears throat> you might be saying, okay, you're saying we're supposed to rule with God. We're supposed to be victorious at all times. We are supposed to walk in victory at all times. 
But aren't we, also supposed, aren't we also supposed to be humble as followers of Jesus? Yes, absolutely. What I'm going to submit to you is that we are supposed to be victorious and humble. And here's how. Article 1. I'm going to read you 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Friends, we only overwhelmingly conquer because we are in Christ. And we are only in Christ because of his mercy and grace. But we are in Christ. And he is winning. And he is in authority. And all things have been put in subjection underneath his feet. And the surpassing greatness of God's power has been revealed as he rose from the grave and now sits at God's right hand. And we, the church, are his body. We only overwhelmingly conquer because we are in Christ. And we are only in Christ because of his mercy. Also, the other reason, yes, we are supposed to walk in victory at all times, but yes, we also need to be humble. Our definition of victory is different than the world's. We don't see victorious living as achieving all the things that the world applauds. Health and wealth and status and temporal power are not what we seek. We follow Jesus, who defeated our enemy by laying himself down. Friends, we become literally unbeatable when we yield ourselves fully to the will of God, the way Jesus did when he went to the cross. Can we think about this for a second? Will you think with me? How do you beat that guy? How do you beat a guy who has no fear of death? How do you beat a guy who loves everybody, even his enemies? How do you beat a guy not attached to the material trappings of this world, but living for his eternal home? What are you going to take away from him? I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Go ahead, I win. I'm going to take everything from you. It doesn't mean that much to me anyways. This isn't my home. How do you beat him? Friends, hear me. Satan doesn't know how to beat that guy either. Most commentators agree that these authorities in verse 21, where it says, uh, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, most Bible scholars see that as the forces of darkness. That what, he, what is put in subjection under his feet there, what is being talked about is, is all of the attempts of the enemy to try to pull God's people away from the destiny he has for them. So what does this mean? What does all this mean? What does all this shouting that I've done mean? What is the, great, the greatness and the surpassing greatness of his power revealed in Christ through the resurrection towards us who believe? And the fact that he is the head and we are the body and all things have been put in subjection underneath his feet. What does that mean practically? Why is it good news? Why did I encourage you to get your tambourine ready? I didn't see any. I'm disappointed. Can somebody... In one of the departments that would be ahead of that, get some tambourines spread throughout this sanctuary. That would be helpful. Here's, here's, here's why it matters. Here's why it really matters. You don't have to live defeated. You don't have to live in constant cycles of sin and condemnation. By yourself, you, you've got no shot. That is your destiny. But if you are truly in Christ... 
and you are in the power that he provides, you can't lose. You can't lose. Even when we stumble, we can't be taken out because we've been promised the privilege of repentance. Let me ask you this. Think about this with me. Even if you get knocked down hard in this life, and, and, and there's a lot of ways that could happen. You can get knocked down hard in this life as a result of your sin, as a result of someone else's sin, as a result of nobody's sin. Just as a result of the fact that this earth is cursed and things are not as they should be. There's a lot of ways we can get knocked down in this life. We can have relational struggles within our homes. We can have sickness. We can have financial issues. We can have problems with our kids. There's all kinds of stuff. Job situation, uh, life just not going the way you thought it should, whatever it is. If you get knocked down hard, whatever that looks like, why would you ever stay down if you know that ultimately you can't lose? Imagine yourself in a fight. Let's raise the stakes. Imagine yourself in a fight, and, and, and the person behind, there's a person behind you that you're protecting. So the threat's here, you're here, someone behind you that you care about is right here, and you're, and you're, doing, the, you're, you're doing the fighting. And you get the slobber knocked straight out of your mouth. They get one on you. Here's the question. If somehow you knew, if somehow you had the knowledge that you could not ultimately be beat, even though you got clocked, even though you're picking yourself up off the ground, why would you ever stay down if you knew you couldn't be beat? As a matter of fact, I think the only time we ever decide to actually stay down is when we become convinced that we can be beat. But the question you got to ask yourself is not am I tough, not do I have what it takes, not do I have the resilience to step back up again. The question is, does Christ have the surpassing power to not be defeated by whatever's coming because I am in him and he is in me? And because all things have been put in subjection underneath his feet. And so whatever the genesis of this battle is, whatever it is that's coming against me, ultimately, it has to lose because Christ doesn't lose. And I'm with him. That is what gospel-colored victory language in the scriptures leads us to. It leads us to a resilience that brings glory to God. This fact is also why subjective solo spirituality is a farce. Let me say that again. Subjective solo spirituality is a farce. And it's a tactic to separate you from the power that Christ provides. Friend, here's what it says. We are his body. He is the head. We are his body. It is not just the fact that we are joined to Christ, but we are joined to one another. That gives us the ability to walk in this victory. When we try to go out here and do this on our own, be the solo lone ranger, uh, you know, me and Jesus have my own, our own thing, listen, that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. You will not accomplish what God has called you to, what he has made you for, outside of the context of being connected to his body, the church, because that's where he's doing what he's doing. The surpassing greatness of his power has been exerted towards those who believe, and those who believe are a part of his body. We don't do this alone. We do this with Christ's help, and we do this with one another's help. But if we will do that, the forces of darkness and any other thing that might try to come against us, eventually it has to yield. You can't win. So I hope you will take that and apply that to the next thing you feel like quitting about. Praise be unto God. May we be a people who love and pray for one another with passion. 
And may we live in the kind of victory for which we were made for God's glory and our good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you for these verses. We thank you that it's okay for us to talk in terms of Christians living victoriously. God, we know that sometimes that language has been hijacked and it's been caused to mean things in people's minds that you don't mean. But God, we, we want to have our eyes, the eyes of our hearts enlightened so our knowledge is of you so that we see things the way you see it. God, we don't want to create uh, an image in our own mind of a God that doesn't really exist. We don't want to try to create some genie uh, that just grants our wishes. We know that you are God and you are sovereign, that we are clay and you are the potter. And we joyfully submit to that relationship. Thank you, though, that you have said <laughs> that the same power that brought Christ up from the dead, that that's at work in us, that you've exerted that power toward us. The same power that brought Christ up from the grave is the same power you use to take us from darkness and death to light and life in Christ. You have raised us up. We are resurrected. Thank you, God, that you have exerted that power towards us, that you are working with that power in us, and God, that you have given us the ability to walk in that kind of power. God, help us to embrace our role as your body, to understand that all the things that would come against your mission and your purposes, that they have been put in subjection underneath the feet of Christ, and thus they are under our feet. God, help us not to wallow in self-pity, to live in cycles of sin and condemnation, but help us to walk as victorious Sons and daughters of the Most High God, relying on the power that you provide. Father, we get in trouble when we try to fall back into our own power and do things our own way. That's useless, and it only leads to pain. God, help us to rejoice in these things, to remember these things, and to walk these things out for your glory and for our good. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.